to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. This series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Asia Bradley-Stevens. I am a pharmacy operations manager within the Oshner Health System, located on the West Bank in New Orleans, and I will be your host. Today, we are sitting down with Laura Myrie. She is the Director of Clinical Pharmacy Practice at the Mayo Clinic Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota. Nicole Clark, she's the Director of Pharmacy at Tufts Medicine Melrose Wakefield Hospital in Melrose, Massachusetts. And Ellen Ravick, the Vice President of Pharmacy Operations at Advocate Health in Wisconsin to discuss the pharmacist workforce. We will be highlighting key takeaways from the April 20th, 2023 virtual roundtable on pharmacists and technician recruitment, retention, and engagement. In addition to adding to the speaker's insights from their practice, in the interest of time during the podcast, we will limit discussions to pharmacists specifically. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. So for our first question, to get us started, I'd like to ask all of our guests today to share some of their insights on how you are approaching recruiting in the current market environment. What are some of the strategies that you've used to get the candidate in the door? And would you say there's any different strategies that you're using for different levels and different positions and roles? Um, we're going to start with Laura, and then we'll take it to Nicole. Thanks. One strategy for recruiting is to make the positions themselves as desirable as possible. Flexibility with FTE, for example, posting part-time positions in addition to full-time positions, also assessing positions for remote work capability, and then highlighting anything that's desirable or unique regarding benefits with the job postings has really helped. We've had less luck attracting pharmacists with specialty training, for example, like critical care or transplant or oncology, when our pharmacist postings on our institution's career website are general or vague. So really speaking to the position details has helped us with recruiting. I think it's important to be creative with your reach. So utilizing things like social media, mobile showcases to get the word, word out about positions. Word of mouth can be really helpful or encourage people to repost those social media posts. Promoting referral programs if your organization has them. Other things that actually came up in the virtual roundtable was kind of going for the long game. So what are we doing for, you know, in high schools and community colleges, like promoting the career of a pharmacist and kind of starting from there to, you know, see increase in pharmacy interest. That's great. I think it's so important to kind of assess and touch base and get people introduced early. So with leadership, it's so important to keep our workforce engaged. So retention is so important. Are there some new retention strategies that you've developed that you think have led to pharmacist retention? And if you did have some new strategies, do you think they worked or why didn't they work? Nicole, we'll have you start there. Thank you. So things like stay interviews, I think really touching base with staff, really having that continuous conversation. So regular rounding opportunities, incorporating different levels of leadership for those roundings so they get an opportunity to talk to people who maybe are your boss and have conversations about the organization and where it's going and thinking about opportunities to grow and evolve in the department, evaluating staffing models and needs and wants of staff, 
things I think that don't work is just keeping everything the same. I think it's the reality that staff changes and we have to evaluate things and, and really listen to our staff. Yeah, I would absolutely echo Nicole's comments with that. Additionally, a few things that come to mind. We've really worked on that focus on belonging. With the pharmacy DNI team, we created amplifying the work that our organization is doing and then making it pharmacy-centric as well. With that belonging, making sure that the teammates and our employees have are involved in the decisions that impact them most through our shared governance model and shared decision-making. Leaning in, we're all familiar with this, but leaning into those continuing professional development plans and then um, encouraging our employees to leverage our career ladder with growth as, as they um, progress through their career. Agree with Nicole on, on we can't just keep doing what we're, what we're doing. Um, nothing has overtly flopped that I can think of for us. But I've found that every one of those tactics that we're leveraging have resonated differently with different groups. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all, this-is-the-magic-wand program that is going to ensure that we retain all of our staff. So are y'all identifying particular pharmacists to develop or like allowing them to have that space to grow? Do you think that helps also with retention? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's helpful to identify those individuals through their interests in the continuing professional development plans and those one-on-one conversations. Always surprised and and some individuals that I work with closely and then really take the time to listen and, and talk with them in a different setting and hear more about their interests and then aligning some of their work with that and how we can um, further do that. And then making sure we're maximizing that career ladder as well. That's great. I know I personally was kind of identified as somebody who could be a good fit for leadership. So I think that's, those are great, great ideas. So with COVID and also just a general cultural shift that we're seeing in the country, and I think all workforces, we're seeing a big emphasis on work-life balance within the pharmacy, specifically pharmacists wanting that. So we've had to be creative with staffing models So how do you think we can adjust staffing models to better fit the needs of our pharmacists, but also still keeping in mind that we have to fit the needs of the pharmacy? So Ellen, you want to touch base on that? Yeah, I think as we've all noted, and it's quickly becoming a theme as employers, we really need to remain remain flexible and evolve listening to our staff. We've created a group, either it's, you know, a shared governance routed through that way, or maybe even a scheduling committee that can evaluate requests and then really encouraging that group uh, to push the envelope on creativity, both with how we're doing the scheduling, getting down to the nitty gritty, for lack of a better term, of, of that scheduling process, but also how we're covering the responsibilities for our patients. I've also found that that group or those creating that group or deferring decisions to a group like that with some uh, per, certain parameters to help guide them and what's in scope and out of scope for their decision making has also helped with leader resilience. As we're constantly being asked and challenged with new suggestions by one individual, avoiding having to constantly feel like we say no. If we can defer it to a larger group for a full assessment, how can we not feel like we're always being the bad guy, which is sometimes a, a challenge? 
Um, I think we also, we have to look at how we can meet the needs of our patients and, and making sure that it's consistent and fair in any unique work arrangements that are agreed to. A few things that I've seen our sites have been more accommodating with FTE decreases. I'd say and increases, but what we're really seeing is uh, the decreases. Looking at positions that have historically been seven on, seven off, maybe is there a pause in a way that we can continue on with whatever service that is and have support teammates and coming off that schedule? Looking at set days or maybe even cross-training between sites of our smaller or medium-sized sites and how we can utilize that to further push the creativity and flexibility that we can offer our employees. Laura, what do you think? Well, Ellen mentioned a lot of really great ideas for staffing model modifications. I would say one thing that has been key for us is really getting pharmacist input, whether that be via survey or having specific work groups or even team-based feedback and really being open to alternative ways of thinking, whether that be adjusting of shift times or whether it's looking at some positions or tasks that can be done remotely. Other things that we've looked at and really been open to teams bringing up as options is utilizing a blended model of eight-hour shifts and 12-hour shifts or 10-hour shifts. And really what we have tried to embrace is that different isn't necessarily better or worse it's just different. And sometimes there's more than one way to meet patient needs and keep our pharmacist staff happy. So those are some things that we've um, definitely worked on. We've also been open to having our pharmacists trade to cover holes in the schedule, particularly in summer months when everyone wants a little bit more time away. And also really helping people to do advanced planning so they have control over their schedule and are able to balance their work and life better. Nice. Those are all, that sounds great. I really like the idea of a scheduling committee. It allows people actually to have hands-on and they're aware of kind of like their voice and their input was in there if there's any issues down the line. Those are great ideas, guys. So I think that allowing the frontline staff to have that voice also really, really promotes morale and therefore increases engagement. So for pharmacists, are there specific engagement strategies that you think that you've utilized within your um, areas, new strategies that you've used and maybe what didn't work with some of those new strategies and what did work. Um, Laura, you want to start us off? Well, first off, I have to say that there were so many great ideas brought forward in the virtual roundtable. So I definitely encourage everyone to check that out. Some of the highlights included utilizing an engagement committee to plan activities. And the focus of those activities was really to actively connect and build camaraderie amongst our staff. Some examples specifically that got brought up were pharmacy week, social gatherings outside of work, wellness activities, really recognizing staff for their good catch awards. And some people even mentioned that they were utilizing a team member spotlight to really get to know each of their individual staff members. Regarding what didn't work, I think my 
only tip would be to make sure that the engagement activities that you are working on match up with workload and also be willing to pivot. An example that comes up is like many places, our hospital has definitely had some days that we are short-staffed and everyone is scrambling to keep up. And even if we have a coffee hour planned with treats and an opportunity for people to connect, it may not be the right day for people to break away from their work and engage. And so sometimes it might be better to take time for our leadership to stop by pharmacist individual desks with a snack cart or treats and just like a word of, you know, appreciation and, and um, acknowledgement of their hard work that they can enjoy on the fly versus having a a planned event that they don't feel like they have the time or energy to participate in. Very, very thoughtful. Nicole, what do you think? What are you guys doing? So to, to bounce off what Laura has said, I agree that you need to gain momentum with wellness and social activities. Um, at my institution, our residents have lead duties. So we started one this year in well-being and resilience um, to help kind of organize this for the department. Um, but this role of focus took a little bit to get off the ground. Um, now that we've kind of been able to gain that momentum and try different things and different things every month, we have multiple activities every month from birthday celebration to contests to international potlucks. We even had an art show, um, all with staff members participating and making suggestions. It's kind of starting to become part of our department's culture. So I just think the important piece for that is don't like try one thing and feel like you failed if it didn't work or maybe some people didn't like one thing, but really liked something else. Um, sometimes surveying teams and what activities would make sense for them helps as well. So just kind of keep keep up the momentum and keep trying. Don't just kind of stop right when you get started. Okay, I love the idea of an art show. That's good, kind of let people get creative. <laughs> so I think those are all great ideas for morale and engagement. We touched on staffing models earlier. What are some things that you guys are doing to prevent prepare for the evolving workforce. You did mention um, assessing remote work, um, those new staffing models playing with hours. Are there any additional things that you guys are working with? Nicole, you want to start off? Sure. I think a lot of the things we've mentioned already, really about assessing your, your workforce, what they're looking for and seeing what you can do and understanding that that is going to change and we have multiple generations in the workforce and things are going to shift as we go options to accommodate as people are shifting as well too. So can FTEs increase or decrease as individuals' lives change and those options for remote work or project days? I come from a smaller institution that this can be difficult. So we kind of got stuck in the practice model we had. And I think we've kind of stopped and really worked with the team to evaluate options and different ideas that might work for a smaller team. So I think involving and asking is just really important. What about you, Ellen? Yeah, one thing that we're looking at, and I think there, it sounds like this is a tactic being used by others as it was shared at the virtual roundtable, and we, we got to get into some conversations there about this. Um, but we're really looking at becoming more involved in leveraging our state youth apprenticeship programs, uh, both in Wisconsin and Illinois, to really increase that interest in healthcare professions, but ideally pharmacy Overall, if it's not, um, if it's a pharmacist or a pharmacy technician, some that we're really needing to focus our efforts on increasing the number of pharmacists or pharmacy techs 
context, of course, entering the profession rather than trying to recruit away or recruit from the schools and competitively um, just get the best candidates. You know, we're starting to see that there aren't enough candidates coming out of those graduating classes. And so um, leveraging some um, focus at a younger age where in the recent history, we haven't had to do that because we've been focused on growing the opportunities to accommodate the larger class sizes. So just seeing that swing right now. Okay. All right, nice. And you guys would say that you're kind of leveraging these tactics amongst your, maybe your operations-based pharmacists and your clinical teams, or are you guys kind of a mixed model? For the youth apprenticeships, I do think we'll mainly see that in uh, more of our operations, just with a limited number of items that we have some specific tasks that um, our youth apprenticeship individuals can do, and then also a list of the things that we do not want them to do. So primarily operations right now, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think apprenticeships are a great um, way to be introduced into pharmacy, and I think that's a great way to kind of capture people who haven't made their minds up yet. (laughs) So as you reflect on some of those strategies outlined above that you discussed during the virtual roundtable, have you implemented anything specifically with the general generational differences in mind? Do you think any tactics have resonated more with one generation compared to another? And what were some of the challenges that you might have seen presented when you are managing those multiple generations? Ellen, if you want to start off. Yeah, what I've seen and what we had discussed in my group and seen at the roundtable was really we're seeing differences in what is preferred. And that could be preferred from a communication standpoint, recognition, or how they're receiving feedback uh, between or across the different um, generations. As you know, I think of one thing as we look at employee growth and development as a retention strategy with leveraging our career ladders and CPD plans. I really noticed that the amount of feedback expected, say, from someone in uh, Gen X uh, versus a millennial or a millennial versus Gen Z is vastly different. And that's somewhat to be expected, right? But then when we apply a strategy of the same number of updates or touch bases with our employees across different generations, it can be challenging. So if we're providing too much or too little feedback, even though it might be the same amount, it then becomes disengaging for an individual. So it just, again, goes back that we need to remain flexible in our, our approaches. You know, some, some employees are taking care of their parents. Others are just embarking on parenthood. Others don't want anything to do with parenthood. So their preferred schedules will look different. And always keeping in mind, we can't make assumptions of what is ideal or preferred and keeping that in the forefront. So each individual situation is unique and having that awareness and openness to discussion. And then those attempts at flexibility, as I have found, is valued. And sometimes it's having to uh, make sure that there is, if a scheduling committee or these um, decisions are being routed through whatever group, that that group needs to be diverse in maybe a l- different ways than we look at some of our other group in diversity. I mean, the more diversity, the better, but just keeping that in mind when 
putting those groups together. And you say, would you say like the scheduling committee kind of helps make that maybe easier to be more flexible or kind of maybe address things faster? Yeah, they can assess the different requests that are coming up if we're thinking about scheduling and preferred schedules and having a diverse group, um, maybe something that works great for parents that have kids in daycare. There's also someone on that committee that's a single individual that doesn't have a lot of family obligations that, you know, or maybe their family obligations look different. They can chime in and say, well, you know, that way works great for daycare parents, but here's my situation and, and share to make sure that the decisions um, really are fair and consistent across all of our employees. Great. That's great. Laura, what are you guys doing at your, within your system? Well, one thing that we've really focused on is identifying needs for different styles of communication across generations and just personality and preferences. So one thing that I've definitely seen in recent years is use of different forums to um, get information to our staff. So some people prefer text messaging, for example, for posting of open shifts instead of email or voicemail calls. Another thing that we've really started to do is recording meetings and providing transcripts in some cases for meetings instead of only having traditional written minutes taken so people can catch up on discussions that happened at their team meetings or at department meetings and really stay engaged that way. Another thing that I have recognized and Ellen definitely touched on is really just making sure that we have all of our groups represented and that everyone feels like they have a voice has been really meaningful. Talking about generational differences and feedback, we utilize a lot of one-on-one touch points with our staff just to focus on career development and check in with them. But one thing that we have definitely seen is that different generations or just different people have different preferences regarding the cadence with that. Some people want to meet every month, others want to have a formal meeting set up every quarter. Some are like, oh, I don't need any of that. I just want you to informally stop by once a week and check on me. And so really just being open to individuals' personal um, styles and opinions has been really helpful. Another thing that has been notable is making sure that we don't put people in boxes because as people's personal circumstances change and time passes, they're going to have different needs. So I really reflect on my own situation. I've been at my hospital for over 15 years and I've hit it all. I've been single. I've been getting married. I had small children. Now I have older children. And I think my career path, it definitely waxed and waned. And I have been very grateful that I've had leaders that have been accommodating of that and also recognize that what was a focus for me one year may not have been the focus for me or the priority the next year. And so I think checking in with our staff frequently to allow them to share where they're at and what they're working on is really, really important. 
Yes, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm kind of similar. I started single, married kids, and it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. It always changes for sure. So I definitely am hearing some common themes, flexibility, adaptability throughout you guys' discussions. I think that's great. So we're on our final question. I want to start with Nicole. We've seen a decrease in residency application and pharmacy school enrollment. How is this impacting your practice? And how have you guys adjusted to that? So we very much use a layered learning model. So we've definitely seen an impact um, and kind of are continuing to see an impact with decreased happy students and some challenges and differences in residency recruitment. We're looking at our practice models and kind of distributing work differently if needed. So we do have to look at some. Do we need pharmacists to do things that we might have had other learners doing before? And we also are thinking about our residency recruitment strategies and how we can expand our application pool and reach and even just our complement um, of PGY1s and PGY2s and do we have the right grouping of people and based on kind of what the needs are for our organization and what kind of the interests are kind of out there from students applying to residency programs, do we need to shift and adjust? So I think it's kind of a newer thing for us. So we're still working on it, but definitely realizing that we need to think about things differently in this space. Ellen, what about you all? Yeah, in, in addition to we're seeing similar and having similar conversations with residents, I've seen that decrease in API students, which something that's been really impactful is that, you know, the number of students then also, you know, that carries over to the number of interns that we can recruit and hire. So we had been focusing on growing and expanding our intern program to uh, more hospitals and increasing the numbers that can accommodate um, at some of our larger sites as well in the last two years. But now as the pharmacy class sizes are smaller, it's hard to fill those intern roles and it's just becoming more challenging. So looking at what are the items that our interns and our API students are, are doing and completing, and what of those items can be completed, must be completed, which a large number of them must be completed, and, and how can we do that uh, with the current staff that we have? I think with this too, really looking at prioritization of the work that our pharmacists are completing, and making sure that we're always trying to be more efficient and, and do more with less, but also with a new lens of how can we continue to provide these levels of services if we get to a point where we can't backfill our open pharmacist positions. Haven't seen that dramatically yet, but starting to have those conversations and um, look really closely at that prioritization and different ways of what are the things that our pharmacists constantly have to touch or tweak with orders and how can we decrease that and maybe set up our automation or EHR differently? No different than conversations that we all have just in doing more with less, cost savings, et cetera, but just applying our skill set in that area to help us get through this challenging time as well or what we anticipate to be a challenging time. Well, thank you ladies so much for your valuable insights. Um, this has been a great discussion on pharmacy retention, and that's all the time we have today. So again, I want to thank Laura, Nicole, and Ellen for joining us today to discuss the strategies on pharmacist recruitment, retention, and engagement. 
Find more member-exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises and teams, and practice management on the ASHP website. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the at ASHP official podcast. Thank you for listening to ASHP official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.